Well, last week we looked at um, how the divided heart of uh, King Solomon uh, resulted in a divided nation. No sooner had uh, Solomon died than there was a split in the kingdom between the ten tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south. Uh, today we're going to talk about the uh, Hebrew prophets. This is awkward. Excuse me just for a minute. Hello? Hey, can I call you back? I'm in the middle of something right now. Why don't you just text me? Okay, make it quick. What? what? You're going to bring the grandkids over at noon? Oh, okay. Yeah, I can watch them. All right, I got to run. What? Love you too. Okay, bye. Gosh. Some people just won't take no for an answer, will they? Maybe your kids are like that. You know, God's kind of the same way. He has a message to get through to us, and he can be wonderfully persistent in getting that through to us. And he uses other people to do that as well, and they're called prophets. Now, the word is first used in the Bible in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis when Abraham is called a prophet. In the next book, in the book of Exodus, both uh, Moses, Aaron, and their sister Miriam are all called prophets of the Lord. And in Deuteronomy 19 or 18, we find the purpose of the prophet. They are to speak on behalf of God. Uh, in fact, the Greek word for prophet means one who speaks on behalf of another. Now, certainly, there is the uh, foretelling the future role of the prophet. But perhaps even a greater role of the prophets is the foretelling role. And here's what Moses said. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in their mouth. They will tell them everything I command them. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So clearly God expected us to listen to the prophets and clearly he expected us to obey their words. And so God raised up people like Samuel and Deborah and Nathan who was King David's pastor. In fact, there were prophets in the New Testament as well, Barnabas, Simon, uh, Agabus, and Silas. Uh, Paul mentions the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 12 and the office of prophet in Ephesians 4, along with apostle, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. And those offices uh, still exist in the church. And I, I would say that God continues to raise up prophets. I would say that Dr. King was certainly a, a prophet uh, in his day. Uh, but the pinnacle of the prophetic era were the prophets Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And they covered about 200 years in Israel's history, from about the 9th century to about the 7th century B.C. And as you read through these prophets, what you will notice about them is that they seem Pretty cranky, pretty cranky. Here are a few examples. Amos, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Wow, calling us cows who oppress the poor and crush the needy. 
Or Isaiah, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. But listen to Micah. This one's really kind of rough. You should not know, should you not know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, break their bones in pieces, chop them up like meat for the pan. I mean, doesn't that sound a little over the top to you? And not only do they use angry words, but, but the prophets resorted to, to shock tactics that look downright bizarre. Uh, Hosea married a prostitute to show how unfaithful the Israelites had become. Ezekiel eats food cooked over cow dung to show how defiled God's people had become. And Jeremiah buries and then digs up somebody's underwear to use as an object lesson to show people how repellent their behavior has become to God. Now, if I did stuff like this, uh, you'd be calling up the bishop and asking for my removal. But the prophets are, are filled with stuff like this, and it makes them difficult to read. I mean, we want to skip over them and, and go to those books of the Bible that, that make us feel happy. So why do we read them? Why do we need to listen to the prophets? Well, the number one reason is that they're in the, they're in the Bible. And we believe that what's in the Bible is inspired by God. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So there's a reason why God chose 17 books of the Bible to be the books of the prophets. There's a reason for their anger. They dealt with injustice and violence and, and indifference and, and cheating and, and hunger and poverty. And, and those issues are still issues for us today. And they matter to God. And if they matter to God, then they ought to matter to us. Uh, Jesus, who Scripture says was also a prophet, insists that every time someone is in prison and doesn't get visited, that every time somebody is hungry and doesn't get fed, that every time somebody uh, is naked and doesn't get clothed, that we are ignoring him. And so the prophets were given this heavy burden of looking at our world and seeing what God sees and, and knowing what God knows and feeling what God feels, and it crushed them. They saw rich people looking the other way while the poor suffered. They saw powerful people looking the other way when, when injustice was being done. And so the prophet became so angry that he said, if a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you wine and beer, well, he would be just the prophet for this people. <laughs> what does beer do? What does wine do? Does it make us more caring or does it make us more comfortable? Well, it makes me more comfortable. <laughs> and drink enough of it and it'll put you to sleep. But Micah says, that's the kind of prophet that they were looking for. So much so that they were oftentimes put in jail or even killed. 
In fact, a great deal, the prophet Elijah spent his time running and hiding from King Ahab and his infamous wife Jezebel. And Jesus recognized the long history of Israel's relationship with controversial prophets of God. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, yet you were not willing. It's no different today. We really don't want to know the truth about what our sin has done in our lives or what it's done to our world. We don't want to see. We don't want to hear. We don't want to feel. We prefer not to know because that makes us uncomfortable. But here's the thing. They, they horrified and they appalled and they broke the prophets. They noticed. And Jeremiah, he didn't want to notice. In fact, he was called the weeping prophet because he cried over what he saw going on in his world. And at one point he said, So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is like in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. In other words, Jeremiah didn't want to be a prophet anymore. He didn't want to speak out. But he found that he had to speak God's truth. It was Jeremiah's burden. It was his it was his gift. It was his calling. And so over and over again, the prophets announced that, that what they were saying wasn't their own words, but it was God's word in them. And so Hosea wrote the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. Joel wrote the word of the Lord that came to Joel. Amos wrote, this is what the Lord says. And Micah wrote the word of the Lord that came to Micah. So if the prophet spoke God's word, it's essential to you and I. It's essential to our spiritual health, to our spiritual well-being, to understand their message. And while the prophet spoke to the issues of their day, there was a common message that is relevant for all people at all times and in all places. And we see it most clearly in the prophet Hosea chapter 11. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open them up and you can follow along. Hosea is found between Daniel and Joel. And, and, and this is how Hosea begins. He says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Now we need to be reminded of this, don't we? We need to be remembered, we need to remember that, that we're loved, that, we're, that we are loved by God as his sons and as his daughters. And we need to be reminded that there is nothing that you can do to make God love you any more, to make God love you any less. Uh, one of our members uh, was telling me last Sunday that he believed that until we begin to understand this and believe it, that it's impossible for us to move forward in our spiritual life. And I have to say that I agree. That that's the bottom line. That's where it begins. And that love begins the day that you were born. And what it means is that you're never alone. You're never on your own. That God is constantly at work in your life. That through your childhood and through your teen years and, and through the pressure of work and raising your children and retirement and bereavement, through it all, God, God was there. 
And God was with you in your bad times. God was with you through your loss and through your divorce and when you lost your job and when you had that heart attack and, and when you got the bad news in the doctor's office. God was there. And God was there through the joys of your life. That first love, marriage, the birth of your children, that unexpected promotion of, or finding your place in God's world. He was there. And it also means this. It means that we're never left to our own device when it comes to our relationship with God. That God doesn't wait for us, but he graciously makes the first moves towards us. Otherwise, I don't think there'd be any movement. But there's another reason the prophets started with this reminder that we're loved. The next thing that they were going to hear was going to be hard to take in. And this is what Hosea says in verse 2. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. You see, that, that's most of our movement. Most of the time, we're moving away from God. The, the prophets understood that, in fact, we are running from God. And Hosea compares them to a child. He says, I taught them to walk, taking them by the arms. And so the prophet is painting this, this picture of a child being held up by the parent as the child uh, takes their first steps. You who are parents, do you remember that? Remember those first steps that your child took and, and, and you were holding them up, but, but they thought they were doing it on their own, but it was you. And then pretty soon they, they, they learned how to, uh, how to walk on their own and, and then they learned how to run and, and pretty soon you were putting locks on all the doors and all the kitchen cabinets because they were getting into everything. And then before you know it, they were getting their driver's license. Oh my goodness. And sometimes that freedom, it, it, it goes to their head and that child rebels. And most of the time, they're just trying to find their place in the world. But sometimes it is a direct challenge to your authority and they begin to live dangerously on the edge and they begin to engage in risky behavior. And you know as a parent, if you don't do something, it'll be a disaster. And that's the way the prophets saw Israel's defiance. But their rebellion against God's love resulted in evil, resulted in corruption and, and injustice and, and lack of compassion. Even the priests, Hosea says, became corrupt. The rich became richer, the poor became poorer, and, and so the prophets called for this repentance and change, but the nation rebelled against God's love and they ran after their other gods. And they ignored God's phone calls. You ever done that? There's a new word for it. Breaking off relationship, it's called, anybody know, it's called, oh, ghosting, right. And, and it means just, just by stopping all communication, stopping all contact. So what was going on? Israel was ghosting God. They didn't want to hear anymore. They didn't want to have that relationship anymore. But you know what? You, you can't ghost God. <laughs> he won't be ghosted by anyone. So the way God gets their attention is to announce judgment and justice. In verse 5, Hosea writes this, Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them? What's he talking about? Well, a return to Egypt means to go back to their former pre-Exodus status as slaves. Although this time, he says, you're not going south to Egypt. This time, you're going north to the to Assyria, to the rising empire that's about to come and take you away as captives. Now, we don't like to think of God as one who judges us. 
But Jesus reminds us, he says, everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. I, I couldn't even count the number of empty words that I've spoken. And Revelation reminds us that each person will be judged according to what he or she has done. So we are reminded that there's going to be an accounting one day. But that God looks for a response. There's something God wants us to do. There's something that God is looking for. And of all the prophets, I think that Micah sums it up best. And I think it's one of the most magnificent statements in the Bible. And there's a good chance that even if you've never opened the Bible, that you'll be familiar with this verse from Scripture. And if you do then you know the very heart of the message of the prophets. And it's found in Micah chapter 6, verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with a burnt offering, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Did you notice the escalation in the text? I mean, everybody could afford a burnt offering, right? I do that pretty regularly in the kitchen. <laughs> burnt the tomato soup yesterday. That was the only thing I was responsible for. I burned it. Not many people could afford a calf. That's getting expensive. Only the rich and powerful person could offer a thousand rams, 10,000 rivers of oil. That's hyperbole. Sacrifice of a child. That's abhorrent. He goes on. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly? with your God. So Micah is saying here's three ways that we respond to the prophets, three ways that we respond to God, three things that God is looking for. And we can pretend and we can act confused about what God wants, but he has shown you from the very beginning God has been quite clear what he is looking for from you and I. And the first is justice. I mean, think for a minute how mad you get when somebody treats you unfairly. I mean, every one of us here could tell stories of when injustice happened to us. Dave Hagler, uh, an umpire, former umpire, has the ultimate story of justice. He said, I was driving uh, over the speed limit in Boulder, Colorado, and a policeman pulled me over, gave me a speeding ticket. I tried to talk him out of it, but if he, said it, he said if I didn't like it, I could take it to court. Well, later on that spring, first game of the next baseball season, and I'm umpiring a, a local game, and the first batter up is that policeman. <laughs> and we recognize each other. And he says to me, hey, how did that speeding ticket thing go? And I replied to him, swing at everything. <laughs> See, we hate it when we're treated unfairly. If it happens in work, if it happens in the family, and my friends, I want revenge. We live in a world where injustice goes on every day and everywhere. The prophet says, do justice. 
Be an agent of justice. Care about it. I can't correct all the injustices of the world, but I can do something. I can notice. I can pay attention to how I treat others. I can have the courage to stand up for people who are being treated unfairly in this world. I can do something, and God requires it. Secondly, God requires mercy. Now, the, old, uh, the, the word that Micah uses is hesed. In the Old Testament, it's the word most closely associated with God's covenant love. It's a, it's a love, it's a steadfast love that expresses itself in action. So it's not just a, a feeling kind of thing, it's, it's a doing kind of thing. And it makes a difference in people's lives. And in a town called Paradise, California, lived a young man named John Gilbert. And when he was five, he was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. And he was told that it would eventually destroy every muscle in his body and eventually it would take his life. So every year, John lost some ability. And when he couldn't do anything else, he could still operate a mouse. He's written this unbelievable manuscript of his life. It's about 90 pages long. And he writes that junior high was the hardest time in his life. Of course, that's probably true for all of us here, right? Don't want to remember junior high. Do you? <laughs> but John was bullied and he was humiliated until he was too afraid to go to school. And he said, nobody stood up for him. Nobody stood up. Well, later on, he was named as California's ambassador for, for muscular dystrophy. And one night he was invited to be a guest at a fundraising auction that was sponsored by the NFL. And one item that really caught his eye was a, a basketball signed by all the players of the Sacramento Kings. But the, the bidding started, and it quickly shot up past anything that John could ever hope to do or afford. And, and in fact, the whole room was, was stunned, was shocked by how high the bidding went for this basketball. No one could match it. Finally, the bidding was over, and the, and, and the person who won went to the front. He, he collected his prize, but instead of returning to his seat, the man walked across the room, and he placed the basketball into the small, thin hands of John, who had admired it so intently. He put it into the hands of a young man who would never have the chance to dribble it, into the hands of a, of a young man who would never be able to throw it for a three-point. The whole room just came undone. Every heart was melted because of this simple act of, of mercy, of kindness. Well, there's a third thing that God requires from us, and that's to walk humbly with God. And I think Micah included that one because a lot of prophets have a hard time not being self-righteous, you know what I mean? See, a, a true prophet remembers that, that he or she too is one of the sinful people who have helped mess up our world. And so they have to walk humbly. And that's what God calls us to do. But before they can do that, before they can even repent and change their ways, God says in verse 8 in Hosea, he says this, How can I give you up, Ephraim? Now, Ephraim is another word for Israel. Listen. My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is roused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, for I am God, not a man. 
So what Hosea is saying is that while they deserve judgment, while they deserve justice, what they're going to get is compassion. In fact, that's what God's cross reminds us of. It is God's love coming to us even before we're consciously aware that it is God's love. It is God intruding into our life, convincing us of our need, awakening us to God's presence, convicting us of our sin and of our need for God, and then telling us the truth about ourselves and lovingly leading us to repentance. Like a lot of us, I always knew that my mother loved me. That no matter what stupid thing I did, she would still be there. And hopefully you had a parent like that as well. Now that didn't mean that she didn't discipline me. And her favorite method of punishment was the ping pong paddle. Back in those days, parents would sometimes use corporal punishment. In fact, the schools did too. My math teacher, Nola, my math teacher in junior high, his whole room was filled with paddles to use on somebody's behind. Can you believe that? No. Kids don't know what I'm talking about today, do they? No. But I'll tell you, those paddles kept me focused on math. I never was very good at math, but I kept focused. And she would make me walk down to the basement where the ping pong table was to get the paddle and to bring it upstairs so that she could use it on my rear end. And it always seemed unjust and unfair that I had to carry the instrument of my own torture. (laughs) But here's the thing. Even as she smacked me, I knew I was loved. And God's compassion is just like that, isn't it? Just like my mother's discipline. It's tough, but it's gracious and it's compassionate. But Hosea's not done yet. He promises to bring them home. Verse 10. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves, and I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. What's the prophet talking about? He's talking about redemption. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about a new thing that God is going to do. For for Israel, it is returning back to their homeland, coming back home. For you and I, it's about coming home into this relationship with God through Jesus Christ. See, God is um, calling us home. But I think too frequently, we're letting it ring into voicemail. We're not answering, but we can't ignore it anymore. Because God is wonderfully persistent. So listen today. Listen to what God is saying. Obey it. And then be a voice to help lead others back to God. It matters to God. It has to matter to us. Let's pray. God, the voice of the prophet makes us uncomfortable. Sometimes, God, it it repels us. 
But you remind us again and again that you're looking for justice and you're looking for mercy and you're looking for humility. And you call all of us to that. So give us courage to change our ways. Give us courage to accept your discipline. Give us courage to jump in with both feet, Lord, into this lovely relationship that you have in store for us, this new thing that you want to do, and we will give you thanks through Christ our Lord. Amen.